Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. For a parent and, and children, it's one of the, the best ways you have available to you to build a relationship and build trust and build love within your family. Hey everybody, Sarah McKenzie here, and this is episode four. I am really excited about the conversation I'm sharing with you today because I got to talk to Jim Weiss from Great Hall Productions, and we had this fantastic conversation that lasted over an hour. It was so great. Um, It may be my favorite one yet, and Jim is amazingly inspiring, uh, very candid and gives a lot of helpful hints for how we can, you know, take on new character voices and um, not let our voices give out and stay awake when we get sleepy and choose great stories and what, you know, what, what the point is to it all. So it was a great conversation. And like I said, it was over an hour. So I thought, well, I'll just trim it up. And I went to go edit it and I just couldn't cut things out. I mean, it was so good. So I didn't want you to miss any of it. So what I did instead is I uh, broke it into two episodes. So this is the first of two episodes with Jim Weiss. And in this first one, um, we focus mostly on tips and tricks. And uh, he gives us a little bit of know-how with storytelling. And in the next episode, uh, we'll get to tap into his mind a little bit about why he does what he does and what he thinks stories do for family, culture, and um, for our children and for ourselves. So awesome conversations. I'm really excited to share those with you. And then today I also invited my friend Pam from episode three back. Uh, My kids are totally digging her summer reading adventure, Traveling Through the Pages, which you can find at edsnapshots.com. I mean, totally digging it. Um, They have been begging for twice as much reading time. Um, Quiet reading hour has turned into quiet reading hours so that they can um, try all the new different kind of books that they wouldn't normally pick up. Um, So it was fun. We went to the library this morning and it was fun to help them find things on the shelves that they they don't normally look for. so I encourage you to go check out the Her Summer Reading Adventure, which is free. And there's awesome downloads and everything because Pam makes just really pretty things. <laughs> so this episode is brought to you by Audible. With over 150,000 high quality audiobooks to choose from, you're sure to find something at Audible to delight your family. My family is currently listening to Tom Sawyer and we're loving it. <laughs> 
It's a real fun listen. Uh, you can download a free audiobook of your choice and get a 30-day trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash read aloud. Let's get right into our interview. Jim has been a storyteller heard all over the world for over 25 years. He and his wife, Randy, formed Great Hall Productions and have produced 49 storytelling recordings. Jim's Great Hall line is the recipient of more than 100 major national awards, and this month marks the 25th anniversary of Great Hall Productions. Not only does Jim create recorded stories, he gives live performances at stores, libraries, schools, and community events. He's even hosted and starred in a PBS television pilot and has performed at the White House. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Jim about how we can become better skilled at the art of reading aloud to our kids. He'll give us some tips for great character voices, engaging stories, and tell us why it's so important that we not try to do this thing perfectly. Hey, Jim, thanks so much for taking my call. I'm excited to be talking with you today. Same here, Sarah. I'm just delighted to, that, you, that you called. Thanks for asking. Well, let's get started by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Well, let's see. Um, I'm a, a directly descended from the Queen of England. No, I just made that part up. <laughs> uh, Anyway, uh, I, I'm, uh, my wife, Randy, and I live in Charlottesville, Virginia, Thomas Jefferson's town, and we've lived here for about 16 years. Part of the draw was that it is the area in which Jefferson and Madison and Monroe and Lewis and Clark all lived, and as a history fan, that drew us here. Uh, but also, it's just a beautiful place. Uh, and I have my studio across the driveway from the house where I write and record and edit and master and send the recordings out to be replicated or downloaded. So it's a very self-contained kind of an operation, and Randy runs the business side of it. And we've been doing it, as you say, for about 25 years now. And when we started, uh, the whole explosion in spoken word audio had not yet occurred. So it was really a huge leap of faith on our part, and uh, we weren't sure there was going to be anybody out there who would want to buy any of these recordings, which in those days were on cassette. But fortunately, uh, it took off very quickly, and here we are 25 years later, and as you say, we're, we have people all over the world who listen to us now, which is kind of mind-boggling to us. Right, in various formats, probably, right? CD or downloads or... That's right. All kinds of things. You know, um, I've been to New Zealand and, and toured there. We uh, A couple months ago, we did a tour in Singapore, and they've asked us back already to go to Singapore and Hong Kong next year. And who knew that the recordings were going to be picked up by people uh, in Eastern Asia? Oh, that's I mean, so cool. Yeah. It's mind-boggling. You know? So what drove you to start telling stories as a profession? Have you always been a storyteller or...? Well, the the profession part of it was the second step. The first part of it was telling stories, just because I love to tell stories. My father and grandfather and, and mother all loved to share stories with us, with my brother and me when we were growing up. My mother read aloud to us. My grandfather had a small but potent repertoire of stories that we all got to know so well that there were some sentences in which we would chime in. And he, being a great tease, would occasionally mess up on one of those phrases on purpose. 
And we'd all go, no, Grandpa, that's not right. And he would say, it's not? How's it supposed to go? Which was one of his instinctive ways of keeping us listening carefully. Um, my dad t- was the one who was the greatest influence, though. He told us stories as our bedtime stories from classic literature and from history. And uh, he knew instinctively a couple of the rules, and there are not very many rules to doing this. Everybody gets to do it in her or his own way, but the first rule, the unbreakable rule, is you only tell stories or read stories aloud that you love yourself. Because if you try and tell a story that you don't like, people pick up on that, and it'll fall flat. But if you're enthusiastic, they'll pick up on that, and chances are they'll get enthusiastic. So he told the stories he loved, and he usually had the book nearby when possible, so he could say at the end, I'm so glad you're like this. Wait till you read the book, it's even better. Ah. And as you, as you know, that's what happens at the end of my recordings. Yes, absolutely it is. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about that because uh, sometimes I hear people say, you know, you shouldn't, we shouldn't tell our children, you read, you know, abridged versions or tell ch- children abridged versions. But in my own experience in my family, it seems that when they hear you tell the story or read an abridged version, a lot of times it just stirs them to want to read the original, especially if it's a classic. That's exactly why, it's one of the reasons we started doing this as a professional kind of an enterprise, because we felt there was a generation either not getting classic literature and history or getting, getting it in a version that really didn't stay with the intent of the original story. And our goal was to tell it on a level kids could handle, the way my father did with us, uh, and then at the end say, now go to the library or bookstore and get the original. Because a lot of times the stories are a, a little complicated or a little intense, or the motives of a character may need a little bit of explanation for a young reader or a young listener. So we stay with the intent of the story, and uh, but I tell it in my words, uh, with character voices for each character and so on, um, because I'm trying I'm trying to act really as a translator, and that's how I think you you have to look at this thing when you're telling or reading stories to your own to your own kids, um, unless you're reading the gospel, it's not gospel, and you can mess <laughs> with it a little bit, you know, you right. can say, hey do you know what that means? Or you can soften violence, or you can stop long enough to explain the motive a little bit, or get into a conversation with your child or children about, why do you think he's doing this, or what else could she do? And um, that sort of thing, which, and by the way, that whole discussion of the the ethical decision-making doubles the impact of the story. And all the stories we're already sharing with our kids have this element to them, and we don't usually talk about it. We usually share classic literature and say, okay, I've done my bit, goodbye. Mm-hmm. And whereas if you talk about why the characters do what they do, you're not only giving the story to your child, and you not only have the opportunity then to, to go on and talk about the era in which the characters were operating, you know, get into that whole discussion, but now you're doubling the impact, or more than doubling it, by talking about the choices that the characters make. And so all of this is inherent in the way we make our recordings. 
but at the end, we don't want to take the place of Dickens or Dumas or Stevenson or whoever it is. We want them to go, we want the listeners to go and find the original or find more books by that author or if it's history, find out more about this group of characters of the era in which the story has taken place. For us, it's a, a way of engaging them and then leading them on. Now, having said that, I'll just finish this little piece by saying that Randy and I have, through the years, heard from thousands of parents around the world uh, who will say, for one reason or another, my child may never be able to read this particular book. He's blind. She's dyslexic. They're this, they're that. They have this challenge or that challenge. But they can now hold an intelligent discussion about the book because of your recording, because mm -hmm. it's true enough to the original. Um, and, and the flip side of that is, and I just had this conversation with a parent at a, at a conference last weekend, my child's dyslexic, but he's now reading at grade level because he's listened to your recordings, and he got so turned on, he insisted on, on teaching himself to read better so that he could read the original himself. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, the very first episode of this podcast, I talked to Andrew Pudua from the Institute for Excellence in mm -hmm. Writing, and he was talking about how uh, what a tremendous impact hearing stories has on a child's, you know, ability to read later, you know, even if they struggle with dyslexia or learning disabilities of any kind. So, Andrew and I know each other well, and we and we um, have talked. We've had that conversation ourselves more than once. I think, and without uh, repeating anything he said, I want to point out that there are a lot of things happening simultaneously. Number one, you're giving the content of the story, obviously. Number two, it's a point of uh, entry to discussing ethics. Number three, it's a point of entry uh, towards discussing the time and the place in which the story happened and possibly time and the place in which the author lived. Also, um, and, and now we're still talking content, but there are a couple of other things going on, too. The brain researchers in the last, oh, 12 or 15 years have finally started to explain in scientific terms what the rest of us knew instinctively was true. Uh, what happens to you when you're listening to a story or reading it as opposed to somebody giving you a story with a visual image on a screen to accompany it, you know, a movie screen, a TV screen, a computer screen. And there, first of all, there are two entirely different parts of the brain in, engaged if I give you a story with an image or if I tell you the story or read it aloud to you or you read it yourself and you're using your imagination to fill in the image. They are actually two different parts of the brain. And each of them is used in different kinds of creative thinking later on. So you have to develop both. And in a very, very visual age, such as we are living in, it's particularly important that we get listening skills in addition to visual learning skills um, for this reason, among others. And the other thing that's very fundamental that most people just don't even realize is that you have to learn how to learn. Um, it's, yes, it's instinctive, but, well, let me tell you what I mean. If I told you a story right now, Sarah, mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, your child said to you, what was that story Mr. Weiss told? You'd stop a second, and then you'd be able to say it. You'd say, well, it was a story about, 
and you talk about the main characters and the challenges and where and when the story happened, and you kind of follow the main points until you got to the to the ending and, and the results. Well, you have to learn what are those essential parts of the story. Um, and what's interesting is, as you are learning to delineate between the essential parts of the story and those details that are added in just for some extra color and texture, as you're learning that with story, your brain is also absorbing this on a whole other level. You are learning how to do this on all the other stuff that you're also learning about. Stories not only teach about stories, they're teaching us how to delineate critical information from lesser information in all the things we study. Right. So they're really, when you, when you learn how to listen to a story, you're learning how to learn. Yeah. So, so much is happening. And, and one last thing, which I knew, because I was lucky enough to grow up the way I did, which is, it's an incredibly powerful and beautiful way to bond between people. If you share a story that you love with somebody, they know you love it. And it means something to them uh, that, that you've taken the time to do this. And for a parent and, and children, it's one of the, the best ways you have available to you to build a relationship and build trust and build love within your family. And so all of these things are happening at the same time while you're sharing the stories that you love to read aloud or tell. Very good. Well, let's talk about character voices. Um, a lot of my listeners have told me that they struggle with character voices. And um, one of the things that I know is tricky is keeping the voices straight. Um, one of my readers, Tracy, said that uh, she wants to know when to change voices. If she's reading aloud, she doesn't really realize, you know, I need to change voices until after she's read the quote. Or um, Right. So how, right. how do you tackle character voices? Well, first of all, I venture to say that the greatest actors and actresses in the world, in many cases, have, just like you and Tracy and me, at one time or another, had a child say, that's not how the character sounded the other night, Mom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Yep. And it, I don't care who you are, it happens, you know. I mean, when I'm doing, a, if I'm doing a recording and, it, and it's a story I know really well and the characters are characters I know really well, I don't have to worry about that too much. But when I record, let's say, an unabridged recording of a book, and I've done 50 or 60 of those through the years, too, mm. some of them have, you know, 40, 50 characters. When I, my unabridged reading of Carry On, Mr. Bowditch, I purposely waited until the end to count how many speaking roles there were because I knew it would be too intimidating otherwise. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And, and when I was done, I counted up, and there were 58 characters in that oh, book. Wow. Now, yeah, and I have lived to tell about it. Now, here's the thing. You, when I'm doing it, because it's a recording, and it has to hang together, if it's a project like that one, I may spend the first day in the studio just recording a sentence in the voice of each of the main characters, just so I can go back to that. If the character disappears for three chapters and comes back, I don't have to say, what did he sound like again? Yeah. And it's all right there in one, in one spot I can go to. I don't have that problem very often. 
for me, ha- having access to the voice comes very organically. Nonetheless, there are times you have to think about it. And here's what I would say to parents. First, the critical part is just the main characters. Don't put any pressure on yourself to get all the minor characters with extraordinarily unique voices because you go crazy. Yeah. Second, when you're thinking about the voice, rather than just snatching a voice out of thin air and saying, okay, this is going to be Frodo and this is going to be Sam, think for a moment first about what's special about Frodo, what's special about Sam, what's special about Sherlock Holmes, what's special about Queen Elizabeth I. What is it I want my kids to know about this person? And now how do I convey something about that through the voice? So you're looking for something to delineate one character from another and have a little contrast in the voices. And the ways that you do that are, and and here's a list. You can have one voice that's higher, like this one, and one voice that's lower, like this one. And you know what? I haven't changed anything except the pitch. Hmm. And yet I have two very distinctive voices here and two very distinctive characters here. And chances are, if it's a story about Samson or Hercules, that character is going to get the lower voice, and somebody else is going to get a higher voice. It's so simple, that one contrast. You can also do louder and softer. Um, Very excitable characters tend to get loud. If you have a character who's very shy, just get a little softer with that voice. And even if you don't really change the volume much, in your other characters, even if they're speaking in an ordinary volume like this, mm-hmm. there is still a contrast. And that shy person's voice is going to sound shyer by comparison, more shy by comparison. Wow, okay, yeah. You can do kind of a jumpy conversational thing, you know, like this, as opposed to someone else who's much more even and a little more extended in his or her speaking because they're maybe more grounded or more thoughtful about the things they say. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, the interview I saw you do with Rebecca from Hedua, and she had some videos on on the Hedua site, which I'll link to in the show notes, because they're so fantastic. Her interview with you is just great. And you were doing uh, the tortoise and the hare, I think. And I just was floored. All you did was speed up and slow down your voice, and it made such a huge difference. And, you know, in a way, it's an advantage that you're not an actor or an actress out on stage with costume changes and scenery and all of that stuff. I mean, it's fun, but you don't need that stuff. You just sit there with your kids and and do this. And you just need one of those contrasts or two of those contrasts between characters, and you've got a cast of characters. And as I say, mostly you want to think about that for the main characters. And uh, and if your child says, well, that's not exactly the same voice, you say, you know what, you're right. It's been a couple of nights since I did this. What was different about it the other night? I'll try and get close to that as I can get. Yeah, okay. And your child will say to you, hey, it was louder or it was faster or whatever, and get as close as you can and then say, you know, that may be as close as I can get to it from the other night. And that, by the way, is a teaching moment you have just had with your child. Very good. Okay. And, um, and I actually don't know that my kids usually remember all the little extra, you know, extra characters, uh, tonality or 
the little nuances of their voices, but definitely the main characters. I think the main characters. Yeah. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. So what about accents? Uh, Cindy says that all of her accents sound either English or Russian, and I'm pretty sure all mine sound (laughs) English. (laughs) Uh, So how do you learn? How do you learn accents? And do you have any tips for that? Well, again, if you you can't do an accent, well, you know, you may or may not want to try. Uh, (laughs) It's one thing if if the author has written the dialogue with an Irish accent or a German accent, you know, and the W's it's a German character, and the W's are all V's now. You can see that on the page and at least do something with that. But um, there, there are two things to keep in mind, I guess, with, with accents. First is that you never want to sound as if you're making fun of somebody's accent. Mm, very good point. Um, because even if you're not telling the story just to your own kids, you don't know if your kids are going to go out and try and repeat the story to somebody else. And for all you know, they're going to repeat it to somebody who came from that place. This is a country we're living in where lots of people here with lots of different backgrounds and lots of different accents, and you don't want to be rude. Yes. So it's a good point to tell your kids if you do something with an accent. By the way, honey, if you go out and tell, tell the story to somebody else, just be aware of that. You, know, you don't want to make somebody feel like you're making fun of them. As to how you do it, again, you only need one or two little things to kind of give a hint at the accent. And I, I just mentioned one. You know, in some, some places, the W becomes a V. Or in Irish accents, a lot of the times, they'll leave off the G on the I-N-G. It won't be, I was watching it. It'll be, I was watching it. Mm. And it's just one thing. Now, if you have an ear for accents, but you don't know how a particular accent sounds, there are a couple of ways you can go. <laughs> the great example for me was when I had, years ago had to do an Egyptian accent. Now I have friends from all over the Middle East, but in those days I didn't know anybody from Egypt. So I went out and got the middle Indiana Jones movie, <laughs> which is set there, <laughs> with a great Welsh character actor, John Rice davies playing Indies, 
Egyptian sidekick, and I listened to him. Oh, that's great! Uh, yeah, it's funny. You know, you can you can do that. Now there are also websites, you know, that are pronunciation websites, where if you don't know how a word sounds, you can go and look it up, and they'll say it for you out loud. Well, a lot of those websites allow you to choose what accent you want to hear the pronunciation in. Is it an American accent? Is it an English accent? Is it Australian? And a lot of them will also have accents from Italy or Germany or something like that. So find one of those websites and enter in a phrase and let, and let somebody who speaks with a German accent instruct you, in effect, by saying a sentence or two in that accent. Oh, that's a great idea. Do you have any favorite websites or do you just... Oh, there's so many. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, there, there's one that just says best pronunciation, but there, I've got a half dozen of them in my, you know, bookmarked in my, in my laptop that I can go to if I need to. Okay. Those that, are also obviously useful. For, yeah, those are also useful, obviously, for all those times you're reading and you come to a proper name, maybe of some place in another country or some character's name, and you say, "Gee, you know, how do I, how do I say that?" Yeah, I've done that before where I've read an entire book pronouncing someone's name incorrectly, and then maybe we watch the movie version of the book or we hear the audio book of it or something, and we realize it was wrong. I mean, that's just in terrible. In the Jungle Book, <laughs> there's an ongoing argument whether Kipling wanted it to be Mowgli or Mowgli. Oh, okay. And, and the flip side of that, and I, I went with Mowgli on my recording. If I were doing it today, I'm not sure whether I would do it as Mowgli. I'd probably do it as Mowgli. Okay. Uh, flip side of that was carry on Mr. Bowditch, which most people say Bowditch, but his, he's a historical character, and it was Bowditch. And the way I remember that was, he was an ocean navigator. It's the bow of a ship. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. But, yeah, yeah, I you didn't realize that. I would have thought it was Bowditch, so I didn't Everybody know does. Mm-hmm. Possibly including him. Who knows? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. How do you Is keep it? your voice from going out when you're doing all these different, you know, character voices and telling stories for a long time. My suggestion is this. I always suggest to people who do a lot of speaking in the day, whether it's a homeschooling mom or a courtroom attorney, to go out and find a local voice teacher and, and say to that person, I would like to come and take a couple lessons from you and I'm not interested in learning how to sing. Uh, I'm not interested in, I, maybe I can't, maybe you even can't carry a tune, but what I'd like to learn from you is, can you show me a little bit about breathing, and can you give me some warm-up exercises I can do in the morning? Hmm, okay. Now, it, it, if you do that for a couple of lessons, that's all you need, and that investment is going to pay off for the rest of your life, because... You warm up for 10 minutes in the morning. I mean, I, when I'm on the way to a gig, I'll be singing in the car. I'll be warming up in the car. Okay. And by the time I get there, I'm ready to go. I can go into the studio and record for hours. My voice actually gets stronger after about two hours. Wow. And, and keeps going for hours. And, and I've learned to hear myself well enough that if I, as I feel it, it's starting to sound a little more tired that's when I stop recording for the day and go back and start doing the editing element of what I've just recorded. Okay. Um, but for you, because here's what's happening. You are working very hard just to get the sound out all day. 
if it's coming from your throat rather than down below from your diaphragm, from your breathing apparatus. And the more, the more you talk, the more stressed your throat becomes and the more tired, and it gets worse and worse over the course of a day. So first of all, I would say try and schedule the stuff that you, the different subjects in the curricula um, in such a way that those that perhaps are most talk intensive on your part are not all back to back. Okay. And number two, if you can get a few voice lessons and just pick up some breathing enough to warm up in the morning for ten minutes, you will find at the end of the day not only do you still have a voice. But your energy level is better than it is if you don't do this. That's just so interesting to me because I did actually take voice lessons when I was in high school for several mm-hmm. years. And so many of my readers and listeners emailed me asking um, for me to ask you how to keep your voice from going out. But I've never had that problem. Uh, and I sort of talked to myself or my kids all day, <laughs> all day. And so I thought, <laughs> well, that's interesting. But um, I wonder how much of those voice lessons are just playing into the way I normally speak and breathe yeah you get you you sure you pick up on it and um after a while it's it's not something you're thinking about now there are a few stories i know take extra work that are extra stressful on my on my voice and i try not to tell those late in the day if i'm doing a live performance are those ones where you change character voices a lot or they're more extreme um, sometimes it's the nature of the voice itself and uh, or maybe a story that, that's a, a long story that's very high energy. You know, that's not a quieter thing. It's something that takes a lot of pep for, you know, a, a sustained amount of time. And I, I've learned to just just kind of think about which stories do I tell, not only from the point of view of a balanced performance, but also. Uh, that kind of consideration too. It doesn't enter into it very often because I do warm up. But if I've been on the road for three weeks, let's say, and I'm doing a, a nighttime concert at a theater or an opera house or some, you know, some place or a community event, I may think about, gee, maybe this is not the right story to end with tonight, unless it's the last gig of the tour. You know? <laughs> right. don't have to worry about it too much. You know? right. End with a bang and then fall into bed. Yeah, <laughs> right. Now, there are, there's not a lot of that, but it doesn't happen that often, but it happens on occasion. And... You have to think about that. Well, um, do you ever get really sleepy when you're reading, a, when you're telling a story or or reading something? Because I definitely, especially if it's a before bedtime story, will feel like mm-hmm. I could actually talk myself or read myself to sleep. I'll just be battling this incredible, you know, wow! It just kind of makes me lethargic, even if it's a really interesting story. So, do you struggle oh, with that at all? It, it's because of what's happening. It's because you know you're you're setting down the rest of your day. You yourself are getting into this story. It's actually an indication that you're getting into that this is a good story for you in the sense that you care enough about it, you're focusing on that, Mm -hmm. just that and your kids. Um, That's when you do one of several things. You either put on a Jim Walsh recording. Yes, I was (laughs) going to say that. (laughs) That's right. Or... um, Or you just say, hey, you know what, let's finish this chapter... Yeah. and then stop, yeah. or we'll finish now for the evening, or whatever it is, and that's okay. And Because um, we've also all been busy all day, and when that happens, we're, we're suddenly in that place of story, too. Yeah, and I, 
I definitely think I started using your stories and audio stories in general a lot more um, commonly or more frequently, I guess, when during times in my parenting where I've just been more tired in general. So maybe when I'm expecting, you know, pregnant or there's a new baby in the house or um, we've just been really exhausted. That's a really great gift of audio recordings, I think, is everybody can kind of relax into the story. So I, yeah, I have, as you know, a couple of recordings that are meant to help kids go off to sleep. Sweet Dreams and Good Night are the titles. And those are intended to do that. And those, those recordings are not only in, in homes all over the world, they're in children's surgical wards and war zones and safe houses for victims of abuse where the kids don't feel safe in their lives because of what they've gone through. And these stories are intended to help you feel safe and go off to sleep. Oh, wow. But, but the other stories, and I have many people say, well, that, we'll listen to any of your recordings, but this is the one we put on last to help the kids go off to sleep. And, um, but the others can do that, too, because as I say, you're, you're, you're suddenly in that magical realm of story. And that's when all the all the caffeine wears off. I guess <laughs> is a way, one way to put it. You're you're suddenly um, all the all, all the things that kind of kept you jumping um, are not coming into play. And in a way, that's a very healthy thing for you as well as for your kids. That at the end of the day, you too can kind of go ah. great (laughs) it gets even better honestly I think the second half is even better but um, I would have overloaded you if I if I aired the whole thing in one episode so I'm gonna wait to air the second half of our conversation till the next episode so you're gonna have to stick around (laughs) for now though I thought maybe we could uh, chat for a few minutes with my friend Pam hey Sarah how are you doing I'm doing awesome how are you I'm doing good today. You and I have had some conversations lately about how important it is to own books. And, you know, last episode, you and I talked about visiting the library and how, you know, important it is to visit the library and some tips for doing that. Um, But we've had some interesting conversations about owning books. So what should we tell our listeners about that? Well, I actually have found some really interesting information, something that kind of totally blew me away. And this was put out by the Literacy Trust um, in the United Kingdom, literacytrust.org from the UK. And they did a study where they questioned 17,000 young people. And what they found out when they questioned these people is that there was a very strong link between a young person's reading ability and their access to books at home. So 80% of the children who read above the expected level for their age actually owned books of their own. Aha. Uh-huh. But if you look at children who were reading below their expected level for their age, only about 58% of those children either owned or had access to books at home. Interesting. So there's some kind of pretty significant correlation between being able to go over to your own shelf and just pick something off the 
off the shelf without having to make it an event, without having to go to the library and borrow them. Or maybe, maybe it's just um, the impact that it has on our children if we are willing to spend money on books and then we make that a family priority. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I I, you know, I really wonder exactly what the correlation is. But I, yeah, I would think that that has a lot to do with it. If a parent is spending money on books, if there are a large number of books in the home, then the message that it sends to our children about books is that they're pretty important, that it's an important thing to have. It's something of value and of worth. Right. Um so books are expensive. <laughs> How do we do that? <laughs> How do we fill ourselves well, yeah. up with them? You're right. Books are um, expensive, especially when you start buying a lot of them. Um, well, there are a couple of things we can do to cut back on the cost of books. And one of um, the best things to do is to go thrift store shopping. You know, in every town in America, and I'm sure overseas as well, there are um, little thrift shops of um, used goods, things that people have donated for the thrift shop to sell, and they're full of really good books. Yep. My favorite Uh, bookshop is a good thrift store. (laughs) Yes. So go into that thrift shop and scour the shelves. I mean, you're going to find a lot of duds, but you're going to find some really great ones in there as well. And yard sales. Get up early on a Saturday morning mm -hmm, and hit a yard sale or an estate sale. And, you know, you can pick up books for a dime a piece. Another place that I like to shop for used books is Amazon.com. You know, I know everybody knows about their new books, but I have had great experiences um, there buying their used books for just a few cents a piece. Yeah, so um, how do we do that? I'm trying to remind, I, I do it all the time, but I'm trying to remember what it says on the screen. I can pull it up here too. Yeah, there are other buying options is what it says. Okay. And, um, Yeah, so as you're looking at the book, there'll be a little box there next to, a little bit to the right of the picture of the book. Yep. And it'll it'll say buying options and it'll, or it'll have used and you can click on that and see what all of the used buying options are for a book. Yeah, so Amazon is a great retailer for used books and Better World Books also is a good retailer for used books. Okay, is that online? Yes, that's online and... um, We'll have to stick up a link in the show notes. Okay, and then um, another good spot for used books is your library book sale. Um, And so if you go to your library's website, they usually have on their event page, or you can just ask the librarian next time you're there um, or give them a call and find out. My library does two a year, and they are really awesome. Uh, People donate books to the library, and they don't put them in the collection. They just put them in for... um, for sale. And then those funds that they raise, um, help support the library. And the other thing they do is what they pluck library books from the shelf that are actually in pretty decent condition, but just aren't being circulated enough and they need to make more space on the shelves for other books. And so they sell those constantly all the time on a shelf. And those ones are the really good ones, I think. And so I always, I actually make a beeline for that shelf, the discard shelf first, when I go to the library before I even go over to the, um, you know, regular shelves. So yes, we have gone to a few thrift stores. We've searched Amazon. We've kind of got a load of books and now we just shove them all on the shelf and our kids are going to (laughs) read. No, (laughs) 
No, you don't. There, there's actually a, a bit of an art to this. Um, once you get the books into your home, it is great to put them on a shelf. But I would encourage you to um, spread the books around a little bit. Um, all of my children have books of their own in their rooms. And so there's either a shelf in their room or a basket in their room with a selection of 20 or 30 books that are good for their age and for their reading level and um, their interests. And they're in their room. And so at any given time, if they wake up early in the morning or they're staying up and trying to go to sleep at night or having a little quiet time, they can always go over and pick up a book and, and have a chance to read it. And they kind of take ownership of those books. Those are their books. Okay. So baskets of books in the kids' rooms. We have a basket in the playroom. And we also have a couple of different baskets in the living room where we've put the books. So spread them around throughout the house. And then another thing to think about is how you display the books. It's very easy for us as an adult to walk over to a shelf of books where the spine is facing out and to pull out a book, look at it, and put it back on the shelf. But it's really not that easy for a child to do that. Um, just, you know, usually the books end up in a pile on the floor and um, spines are just not that interesting. They don't really catch their attention. So I would encourage you to display children's books with the front of the book facing out. Yeah, there's some really creative and inexpensive ways to do that. I've not done this in my home yet, but I definitely um, want to. So I just came up with an idea. Maybe Pam and I, maybe you and I can start a Pinterest board where we pin some creative ways to display books and we can put that link in the show notes. Yeah, and, and actually on our summer reading board, mm -hmm. we have probably about 20 different pins. Oh, you do? Awesome. With, I'll just link to that board then. Yeah, creative ways to um, display books. Everything from, um, in our house, we do have some of the little Ikea spice rack bookshelves. Um, I know people have used rain gutters, pallets, the old wooden pallets that they've made into bookshelves. Um curtain rods and pieces of fabric to make like a sling shelf. Um, but, you know, put the shelves down low at the children's level so that they can, they can stand and peruse and then take it off the shelf and put it back and just see the cover because the cover is so much more engaging than the spine, especially with a really thin children's book. Okay, awesome. So now we know that it's super important to own books and a few places to find some discounted books, so we're not paying full price, and um, some great ways to display those. And I'll make sure I link to your Pinterest board that has some ideas if people want some creative options for displaying books in their home. And um, then make sure that you visit Pam's site, edsnapshots.com. If you haven't gotten your reading passport or any of the other summer reading program uh, materials she's got there. They are awesome. My kids are having a ball um, filling out their bingo bingo forms and, and trying out new books that they wouldn't have otherwise chosen uh, just because of the summer reading program she created. So thanks, Pam, for chatting with me again. That was fun. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, this is Let the Kids Speak, where kids get to tell us about the books that have been read aloud to them. My, my name's Michael. My name is 
me feel so yard. My my book is Sad Trip. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm Samantha. I'm almost eight years old, and my favorite book that I like to read is The Mitchells. I like it because they, when they have a friendship, they do everything they can to keep it. And I and what I like to read with my mom is The Duchess Bakes a Cake. I like it because it's funny and there's a surprise for everyone. My favorite book to read with my dad is The Chronicles of Narnia. I like it because it, it's a very adventurous books and they're very cool and I'd like to see if there are any more going to be published. My name's Jacqueline, and uh, I'm six years old, and my favorite read-aloud is um, Trumpet of the Swan. And my favorite part is um, the where he flew into the window, <coughs> of the store window. Goodbye. Well, that's just got to be your favorite part of the show, too, right? <laughs> it's not just me. I have links to all the, all the books that our um, younger guests um, suggest, at readaloudrevival.com, episode four. And Michael's, if you missed it, was Charlotte's Web. Um, So you can find links to all the titles that the kids recommend in the show notes. So that's it for this episode. Uh, Be sure to check out uh, the show notes, readaloudrevival.com, episode four. Uh, Just look for the episode four button because Jim is generously offering a CD to one of our listeners today. So uh, you can enter right there in the show notes. And as long as you're listening to this podcast, within a couple weeks of its airing, you should get a chance to enter there. It'll be open through the end of June 2014. The winner will get to pick any one of the 49 audio recordings available at greathall.com. So be sure to check it out. I love hearing from you. So shoot me an email. Um, let me know if you can think of a guest that you'd like me to see if I can get on the show. If there's a topic you want us to cover, uh, any feedback at all is just fabulous. And of course, if your children want to re- record a message to get on Let the Kids Speak, head to readaloudrevival.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page and there's a button there you can click to leave me a message. Actually, adults, if you have a question as well, um, feel free to leave me a message there and I would be happy to play those for one of our upcoming guests who I think may do a good job answering whatever question you have. So I'd love to hear from you. You can always sign up for my email list at readaloudrevival.com and I'll send you a quick note whenever a new podcast is ready. Um, I also keep a list of upcoming guests there at readaloudrevival.com. So you can check that out if you want to know what's coming up in future episodes. That's it for today. Thanks for listening, everyone. Go build your family culture around books. Thank you.